ears to hear and an open heart to receive. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever been treated unfairly or unjustly? Well, I sure have. It happened in high school. But I can remember it like it was yesterday. My dad had bought me this pair of shoes that I thought were really cool. But they were a bit unusual looking. They were red, white, and blue, kind of appropriate for this weekend, and they had white soles. All right, before you say anything, it was the 70s. What else can I say? But they were most definitely dress shoes. See, they had to be, because the high school that I went with, that I attended, had a very strict dress code. Right? It was a Catholic high school, and so boys were required to wear dress pants, collared shirts, ties, and dress shoes. No athletic shoes of any kind were allowed, and at that point, that pretty much consisted of Converse, Keds, and PF Flyers. Do so I remember PF Flyers? Do you, you can still buy PF Flyers? I had no idea until I looked that they were actually still sold. I may have to get some. Well, the dean of men at my high school was the head wrestling coach and the assistant football coach, and he was a, he, his name was Ralph Weinzappel. <laughs> it's a good German Catholic name, isn't it? Weinzappel. Mr. Weinzappel was very intimidating. He looked like a Marine in street clothes. He very well could have been a Marine in street clothes. At some point in the future, after I was in high school, he was eventually inducted into the University of Evansville Football Hall of Fame. And he rarely smiled, and yet even when he did smile, even that was intimidating. It's hard to explain, but... Maybe you know somebody like that. It's like it's almost worse when they smile. So I wear my new shoes to school, and before I even get to my first period class, Mr. Weinzapple is pulling me aside, and he tells me that my tennis shoes are against the dress code. I say, but sir, these are not tennis shoes. They are clearly dress shoes. And he says... No, they're clearly not. Here's your detention slip. End of discussion. Now go to class before you get a second one. That is some serious injustice there, my friends. <laughs> there was no jury. There was no appeals process. Just me at the mercy of some fashion-challenged drill sergeant wannabe. Should have made a sign, march through the halls of the high school. <laughs> Mr. Weinzapple, don't know a soul. <laughs> Might have to think about that for a second. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I suppose as injustice goes, my incident probably doesn't even register on the scale. But I would imagine that there's some of you here, and, and some of you watching online, that you've been on the receiving end of injustice. 
Maybe you've been criticized or accused of doing something that you really didn't do. Maybe you've worked for someone that just kind of seemed to have it out for you, um, no matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried. They were just never happy, and it just kind of seemed like they had, it, they had it in for you. Maybe you had a spouse that just suddenly decided that he or she didn't want to be married any longer. Could be that you've been the victim of some scam or you've had your ID compromised. Maybe you faced some sort of wage inequity on the job. Or you've encountered some form of sexual discrimination. If you were from a country other than our own, then injustice might mean that you don't even have freedom of speech or the freedom to make a living the way that you choose or access to a quality education, or the freedom to worship in a way of your choosing. In our own country, issues include racism, immigration, health care reform, sexual assault, and corruption. And all those things fill the morning headlines and the evening news reports. In 2017, so about three years ago, the ACLU reported findings from a public opinion poll that they uh, had undertaken of 1,000 Americans. And of that makeup, 41% um, said they were conservative, 31% identified as liberal, and 23% um, as moderates. So decent mix, I would say. And so these, these, these people were asked about their views on such things as the size of the prison system, uh, mandatory minimum sentences, whether incarceration makes communities safer, how to respond to mental illness and drug addiction within the context of the criminal justice system, and even including circumstances involving violence, and what types of policy positions voters were seeking from their, own, from their elected officials. And so the poll showed a remarkable level of agreement among Americans. And these are Americans of varying political persuasions and demographics. And of that entire group of 1,000, 91% of the Americans said that the criminal justice system had some sort of a problem that needed to be fixed. And so Americans recognize that the system is broken, but if you are a believer in Jesus, you also must know that if we rely on human wisdom, then there's little reassurance that any kind of reform will come quickly or will actually align with God's truth. There's a saying that justice delayed is justice denied. And that may be true, but it doesn't change the fact that injustice can exist for long periods of time with no relief in sight. And that's precisely the issue that uh, Habakkuk is dealing with in the biblical book bearing his name. And so if you would like to follow along, we are in the um, minor prophet book of Habakkuk. Uh, we're going to look at, at the beginning and at the end. So chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So we're going to look at sort of where he begins and where he ends up, all right? So, Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. 
How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. And then to chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. So what's, what's Habakkuk saying here? Sort of what's his message? Well, I think what he's talking about is that um, there are going to be times in your life where it appears as if God is not at all concerned with whatever injustice you're dealing with. Notice I said appears. But that's the way it looks to us. It's like, you know, Habakkuk is crying out. What's up, God? So, given that, and given where we see that he ends up, what approach for living in these times of, of injustice, whether it's personal injustice or whether it's some sort of societal thing that, that you see, what approach for living in those times do we get from looking at what he has to say here? And um, there's a few things, I think. And the first one is, oh, there, that's what we were just talking about. There's going to be these times. So given that, first of all, I think the first thing he's telling us is that it's okay to question God in the midst of your circumstances. Right? Verse 2 says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you don't come to save. See, this is kind of a unique way. He, he starts out his, uh, his own book here in the Bible with this kind of a question. And he's disturbed that God seems to be oblivious or maybe worse, unconcerned about the rampant evil that's going on in, in the nation of Judah. And so th this phrase, how long, indicates that this isn't the first time that Habakkuk has cried out to God about this. Right? He's been dealing with this for a while. And he, now he sort of just reached that point that we all can reach sometimes where it's just boiling over and you've got to say something. And so the thing is, though, his doubts and his questioning really weren't those of someone who's trying to find fault with God so much, uh, you know, like a negative critic or a skeptic might. I think this is just honesty. This is the honest searchings of someone to God. Because it appeared to him that God wasn't listening. It seemed to Habakkuk that God just didn't really care. 
you know, he's watching all of this stuff happen to this nation that he's a part of and that he loves. And yet, it's seemingly being torn to shreds. He, fe- he looks at, and he sees God's people being mistreated, and then he sees the wicked prospering. And we see that theme somewhat repeated in the Psalms a lot of the times, right? The psalmist cries out to God, God, why are, the, why are all the bad people getting ahead <laughs> and all the good people are getting stepped on? How come that happens? Right? The psalmists cry out about that, and that's what Habakkuk is saying here. He's like, okay, God, how come you didn't just come in and zap the wicked with a bolt of lightning? That would work for me. You know, just done. Because, as he says, Judah's overrun with crime and violence. And godly people were being harmed by the crime and the violence. And so the prophet, you know, Habakkuk has had this kind of long-standing feeling about this. And like I said, he just reaches that overflow point where he sort of erupts in this twofold complaint to God. First of all, he wants to know why, why God is so indifferent. And second, he wants to know why God seems so insensitive. It's like, why don't you do something? Why don't you help? These are supposed to be your people. And you know what? Initially, it's a little shocking, maybe, to hear the language that he uses. You know, we, we tend to take that attitude. It's like, well, you know, I can't, I can't get upset at God. That wouldn't be right. But the thing is, I don't think God was offended at all by Habakkuk and and the passion with which he comes to God. I think, I don't think God's insulted when we come to him with our questions. If you want to know the truth, I think God's probably more offended if we start looking everywhere else for answers and never go to him in the first place. And how, how often do we do that? How often is God the last place we look for an answer instead of the first? So Habakkuk at least had the order of these things right. And you see, God's not always going to give you all the answers you want. But he's never offended if we come before him and we ask for these kinds of things in the right spirit. Two commentators, Barker and Bailey, made this comment. The very fact that Habakkuk took his complaints to God can help believers to be honest in prayer, taking all of our burdens to the Lord. Habakkuk's experience shows that God is willing to hear our needs and to help us deal with our problems. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Apostle, uh, starring Robert Duvall. It came out in 1999, I think. And um, the scene that I'm about to show you is probably one of my favorite scenes from that movie, and I think it helps to underscore the point that Habakkuk is making. Hashtag my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. 
Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while, woman, I have, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. that he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, he sometimes talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord, and tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. I think the reason I like that scene so much, it's the raw honesty that he's talking to God with. How many of you haven't felt like Sonny on some occasion? Where you're just at the end of whatever rope you still have to hang on to. And all you want to do is yell at God. But don't take Sonny's word for it. Take Habakkuk's word for it. He tells us that it's okay to question or even to yell at God in the midst of the circumstances you're dealing with. It's okay. Second thing is that despite your circumstances, you should still praise God. Verse 18 says, Yet, remember what preceded the yet? We talked about all the bad things that had happened in Judah. And he, then he finishes that up by saying, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. And so in these final verses, Habakkuk comes to realize that his faith can ultimately and finally be left in the God who keeps his covenant forever. He understands that the ultimate source of joy is and should be in God alone, and that he's still God whether he deals with the injustice of his people or not. See, Habakkuk's assurance doesn't rest in some visible or, and yet temporal blessing like his house or his, I was going to say car, but I guess it would be ox whatever he might have, whatever sort of temporal things were part of life back then. That's not where he's putting his faith. It rests in that unshakable relationship that he has with the Father. 
commentator named Robertson says this, the transition from the complaining prophet to the rejoicing prophet surely must be seen as a work of God's sovereign grace. Nothing else could explain how a person could be happy and contented in the face of the calamities that Habakkuk had to undergo. See, praise brings joy regardless of the circumstances. And we've, ta we've talked about this over and over again. People tend to confuse happiness and joy. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. My circumstances may not make me happy at all. But that doesn't mean I still can't have joy. You know, those are not synonyms for one another. There's a difference. And so what we see here in this, in this writing is that Judah's economy was in a shambles, okay? Failed crops, no livestock. These were all curses that Moses had forewarned if Israel got off the path, right? If they started to become unfaithful to God and worship other gods, Moses had said, this is what's going to happen. It was very clear about it. It's right in Deuteronomy. And so everything that all of these people in Judah had that they believed provided security, satisfaction, happiness, all of those things, gone. Just like that almost. You can imagine what life would be if all of a sudden the next day you wake up and uh, you, you have nothing. None of what you had before is you have now. But God is still there. Even in the midst of all that, God is still there. Habakkuk was still saved. He's echoing the attitude of the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 72, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Tr Thomas Traherne was a 17th century English clergyman, and he wrote this, Till you can sing and rejoice and delight in God as misers do in gold and kings in scepters, you can never enjoy the world. I think Habakkuk's testimony reminds us, or at least it reminds me of what Paul was saying to Christians in uh, one of his letters. He says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong in Jesus Christ. Despite your circumstances, we still are to praise God. And then finally, the strength to endure your circumstances comes from God. Verse 19 says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And so he's closing this prophecy by declaring that God was his Lord and his strength. And I think it's pretty interesting that even in the midst of his suffering and all this, he still refers to, to the Lord as his, as mine, my, right? There's an intimacy of the relationship there that is just so sure and so solid and based on this foundation of the covenant promises that God has made. And I think the order of his proclamation is somewhat significant too. See, whatever strength he had, he owed to the one who was his strength. But basic to everything is the fact that God was his Lord, his master, and the center of his life. 
And so Habakkuk was determined not merely to rest in God through everything that would come to, fa to pass, but to rejoice fully in his saving, in his saving grace. And so he's saying that God gives him the stamina to endure the hardship, but also the vitality to walk on heights like a deer. And not only would he bound through his trials, but he would also climb the mountaintops of victory. There's a, a British uh, expositor whose name was G. Campbell Morgan, and he said this, Our joy is in proportion to our trust. Our trust is in proportion to our knowledge of God. Remember that? saying, no God, no peace, no God, no peace, two different forms of the word no. It's kind of what he's saying. And so, therefore, in the day of distress, when that actually came for Judah, and it did, Habakkuk can rest in the assurance that God's in charge of everything, and he's working it all out. He may not understand it, but he knows that God is faithful to what he says and that it ultimately is going to work out okay. But he also can have peace because he knows that eventually God's justice will come to pass and that the Babylonian Empire that is the one who's bringing all of this, um, the, you know, the captivity and the ultimate suffering that this nation is going to undergo, God's going to deal with them eventually. So, just to kind of conclude, I, I thought this was a great summary of the book of Habakkuk. Trusting God when you don't understand him. <laughs> like any of us ever understand God, right? But sometimes we, we, we just have to trust when we don't. And so, Habakkuk is teaching us to face the doubts and the questions that we may have in situations like this honestly. Right? Don't sweep them under the rug. Don't shove them down in. We'd all probably be a whole lot better off if we were a little bit more like Sonny. I don't mean you have to stand in your bedroom and yell at God, but be honest at least. I think so often in prayer, we're not even honest with God. I'm not sure why. God already knows all about it anyway. But sometimes I think he's looking for us to just to say it, to admit to it. And then he can start to, to work. Um, so we take our questions to God honestly. We take them humbly. We wait for his word to teach us. And then we worship him no matter what we see or feel or do or observe or anything else. He doesn't always change the circumstances, but he can change you, me, us, to meet the circumstances. And that is essentially what it means to live by faith. You can't know everything. You're never going to know anything. Everything. <laughs> I was speaking myself, I guess, in that first instance. So here's the question. Are you rushing headlong into whatever situation you are facing 
with no guidance or input from God. Or, are you willing to hold back a little bit to wait on him to change you so that you can be more effective in whatever circumstances are in front of you? See, that's the question. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. It seems to be part of our nature to be impatient and to get at, want to get ahead of you, to try to fix things that we really don't even have the capability to fix. To rush in before we really even know all the details. So Father, I just pray today that, that you would help us to overcome that tendency. That you would give us the, I guess the patience to take these things we see, the whatever injustice that we may be dealing with, whether it's something going on in the world right now, something going on personally at work or in a relationship, wherever it might be. Give us the faith to speak to you openly about that. And the patience to wait for you to deal with it. We just thank you, Father, that everything is under your control and your domain. So bless each one here. Give them a special measure of your grace to deal with those things. Just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you look uh, in the chairs in front of you, you should have a small container that has a um, piece of a wafer and then a little container of juice, and we're going to uh, take communion together. So on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread and he offered it up to his father and he asked, or he, and he, he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it and he gave it to those close friends, his disciples that were seated at the table with him. And he said, take this all of you and eat for this is my body given for you. And then when the supper was almost over, he took a cup of wine from the table. Again, he asked his father to bless it, gave him thanks. And he once again turned to his disciples and he said, take this all of you and drink, for this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. 
blood that was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. Lord, we thank you that we are able to have this simple act as a means of remembering the sacrifice that was made on our behalf and your great love for us. I pray that you would now consecrate these elements in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you would make them to be for us your body and your blood. The body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. We give you thanks and praise, Almighty God. Let this meal provide the strength that we need to be your disciples, to show your love to a world that now more than ever so desperately needs that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'd like to ask Pastor Chip to come up and close out our service. Amen. Our God is so amazing. He's so good. We're just going to enter into our ministry time now. Um, if you just bow your head, you don't have to, but it'd be nice if you did. And we've done it a couple times already, but let's just wait on the Lord. I know we also have some prayer requests from Facebook. Oh, thank you. Uh, Jeff had asked if anybody was hearing anything from God earlier, and I, I kind of was, but I didn't know if what exactly I was hearing. But I, I just get a sense of a relationship issue, um, like a romantic relationship. It could be a marriage could be a boyfriend girlfriend I, I don't know but I just I just felt the Lord saying that he knows about that issue it might even be your child is having some type of divorce or something I'm not sure um, but the Lord is, is he's aware and it was so funny that Pastor Jeff you know started out by saying God do you even see what's going on he does he does I want to go ahead and pray for these uh, prayer requests that came in through Facebook. And we thank our Facebook family so much for just watching and joining and tuning in every week. Uh, Cindy on Facebook said that she needs healing on her back and her hip because she reheard it. So let's go ahead and go into prayer for that. Father, we lift Cindy up to you, God. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would invade where she's watching. Right now, Lord, that your power would hit her body, Lord, and you would heal her back. 
Father God, and you would touch it and take away any pain. And the same goes for her hip, Lord, that you would rearrange, God, whatever is hurt, whatever is messed up, whatever is in, in pain, Lord, that you would touch that hip right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we lift up Milt's wife, Lord Barbara, who he had posted on our Facebook, Lord, who was having some health issues. Father, would you continue to strengthen her? Would you continue to give her healing and give her the ability to live her life, God, functionally, Lord? Father, we thank you for Milt, God, for being such a devoted husband, Lord, and such a such, strengthen him, God. Father, for Milt's niece who is struggling with COVID-19, Lord, would you touch her right now in the name of Jesus? Touch her lungs, touch her body, and we just command that virus to go in Jesus' name. Right now, in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift up Mike's prayer request to you, God, that the chaos and, and everything going on in our country, Lord, that you would just have your way in all of it, Lord. We want your way in all of it, God. So, Lord, would you just fall on our country, God, in a new way, Lord? We're asking for revival in Jesus' name. Because, Father, out of some of the greatest... The greatest challenges, that's where revival can come from. And we thank you for that. If you're watching today and you, you haven't given your life to Jesus, I just encourage you to do that. It is, or if you're in this room, it doesn't mean you have to behave a certain way or look a certain way or be a certain way. It just means you have to make a decision and just accept him. You just ask, Lord, save me. I make you my savior. And then find a church, whether it's this one or another one, get plugged in and get discipled. Amen. Our ministry team, um, Pastor John and Jeff and Andre and Cindy, are going to be around the room in a moment. If you need prayer for healing or anything, we're all here to pray for you. We love you. It's been a great day. Give Jesus praise. Amen. God bless you.